start my podcast, I'm going to say that uh, uh, this is uh, Pastor Wright's Sunday morning Bible class at Emmanuel Lutheran Church here in Altamont, Illinois. It's the 22nd of November, 2020, and we are studying a Bible study called Courage in a Time of Crisis. And the source material for this were written by Dr. Adam C. Kuntz. And it's available on our, our lcms.org uh, church body website. So you all have a handout here. Welcome to class today. And uh, courage in a time of crisis. Introduction, fear and worry come easily. Courage is harder to find. How do we persevere in faith and flourish in Christ, especially when so many uncertainties turn into so many certainties turn into uncertainties. Read and pray the scripture passages to find Paul's words that, that come true through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope, Romans 15.4. So think about the fears and worries that people have right now. Of course, will I get COVID-19? And maybe not so much if, but when I get it, will I be one of those people that have such terrible reactions and will my... Uh, immune system go into a hurricane or a typhoon and I uh, will be overcome uh, severely and face disabilities, amputations, or maybe even uh, death. Right? There's a lot of fear of that. And then as we've been talking here, uh, what about the uh, antidote to this, the vaccines? Do we really know that the health professions and their quick testing and us know all the adverse reactions and will I be one of those people that have an adverse reaction to the cure? A lot of people uh, worried about business right now. Small businesses closing again as mitigation comes to us here. And bars and restaurants are closed to in-person. Um, some still staying open here and there. Uh, will the health department shut them down, fine them, uh, close them? Uh, or uh, will, they, uh, will they not be able to, to stay afloat without staying open and they'll go out of business anyway? A lot of complaints. Oh, everybody's, uh, you know, Walmart and, and uh, Amazon and Alibaba, their stocks are rising and they need more employees, but everyone else is shut out of this because they have to close, perhaps. Are farmers worried about uh, grain? It's all in, right? It's going up all the time. It's going up. Well, there's good news for some people, huh? So there's those kind of fears and, and others. What kind of uh, uh, other fears are people experiencing? Could you tell me? What, what kind of fears and worries are we having that hasn't been mentioned? What are college students concerned about these days, Austin? Oh, well, they've been adding kind of a lot more work to us now because we're all online, so they're just, we've got talked with a lot of other classmates and a lot of other schools that we're getting a lot more like busy work and more stuff to make sure we're doing the work instead of just sitting in on the lectures and doing that. So there feels to be a lot more work, so there's a lot more in each class. So kind of that feeling of drowning in all the work that we have to get done. More work to do for college students, just to justify that, yes, I am a student here, huh? Will I get it all done? What if the internet goes down at home now, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know, it went out like three times yesterday. Oh, that's gotta be frustrating. You're trying to watch the lecture, do you have to start all over? Does it remember where you were at in the lecture? It's all Zoom stuff, so if you kind of miss out on something, unless they record it and post it later, which only one of my professors do, kind of miss out on everything. So. Yeah, Pastor Wright's been getting ready for this. I, I figured out that uh, last year they gave me an email address at the school. I didn't know it, 
So there were a few messages waiting for months and months. And uh, learning how to do the virtual classroom uh, that we might have to use if the school uh, is closing. And I would imagine, I don't know, uh, the students were telling me, hey, the ALS won't have to close because it's a religious school, a private school. If the public school closes, I don't know. Uh, some of our, some of our uh, resources are shared. I know the buses and things like that. But uh, I haven't heard if, if they think that they would stay open or not. And that's a school board decision, I guess. I know I'm a substitute teacher, and I'm subbing galore at the AGS now. Subbing so much, huh? Yeah, I've never subbed over there maybe once or twice a year because I was at other schools, but now they're calling me about every week to sub because everybody's in quarantine or you know around. One of our teachers' husband was positive and sick, so uh, they were quarantined for two weeks, so we had to have a sub for that class in the Lutheran school, but public schools as well. So a lot of anxiety about that. A lot of parents like, I'm done with my kids. You know, we were we had three months of this in the spring and on and off now. And somebody else has got to teach my kids. I don't understand this stuff. How about we got a mom in the back with the high schooler and a junior high? Is it not a problem? They're on their own. They're on their own. <laughs> Sink or swim. Boy, uh, that's how it was for me. Uh, I'm telling you. My parents uh, were so old, by the time I got in junior high, they didn't have a clue how to do algebra. Well, Dad remembered Pythagorean theorem, you know. He knew, he knew stuff with carpentry, that was about it. Well, nowadays, with the concept of education, it's just so weird that, you know, I was taught carry over, but now they carry under, and there are some weird concepts that you have to do multiplication by five and this to figure out what's 43 plus eight, and I'm like, why don't you just know that 43 and you add the 8 and you make it. It's just so weird the concept that they want us to do. Strange one, new concepts. One person goes, yeah, you, you talk like my mom. <laughs> my mom says that too. I can't do new math. So give me the old math. All right, well, I've got a sheet here. I hope you all got the sheet of Bible references here. And uh, it says, uh, a courage under trial. In the first letter, in a letter filled with suffering, Paul also wrote to the Corinthians about courage. What is the future Paul sees in 2 Corinthians 5.16? We've got it written out here. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due him, uh, due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what's the future Paul sees here? He says we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account for our life. Uh, we live by faith in this world, don't we? We can be courageous in life because we know what Christ has done to make us holy and we know where we are going. He says, I'd rather die and be with Christ. You know, I'd rather be away from this world, out of my body, and with Christ than stay here. But if I'm here, I'm going to try to please God. I know the judgment's coming. I know I'm a sinner. Uh, he doesn't say here, but in other parts of the letter, I know uh, by faith I've been justified. I've been uh, declared righteous, so I don't fear uh, meeting God for the sake of Jesus. Number two, how can Paul always be of good courage? Romans 8, 23 to 27. Any readers here? You don't got a sheet? 
John? And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who with the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in his hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for the patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, we, what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to deep for words. And he who searches, searches hearts knows what, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So that last passage we saw, it said, we are of good courage. Uh, we'd rather die, uh, Paul's saying in his sufferings, but uh, it's going to please God. Here I don't see the word courage, but we see some groaning, don't we? And it says, we groan as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, when our, our uh, sinfulness is taken away. You know, Paul struggled with things in himself, just as you do. And he said, that's my groaning. You know, why do I keep sinning this way? Why do I worry? Why do I not trust God? Um, but uh, he says, the Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit's working in us through his word, guiding us, and even even praying for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. So through our baptism into Christ and the teaching of the word, God sends the Holy Spirit to us. And we can look forward to death. Uh, that'll be the redemption of our bodies when we get that new uh, restored body. And he says, we have hope. We know the good that God's planned. It's not like, oh, I hope it happens. It's, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be the great day. That's what keeps me going. We must all die in this body first. So if you're worried about your health, uh, why? I mean, don't be silly and you know tempt God like some people. Like, who's going to get the coronavirus first? You know, don't make bets on it. Uh, don't try to get it. Don't try to spread it. But uh, they say we're all going to get it in some form, right? Sooner or later, we just don't all want to get it at the same time and have three million people trying to get in the hospital. Ooh. I just think that's beautiful. The Holy Spirit's groaning for you, huh? You're so deep in despair, you have no words. You're so deep in despair, you have no words. Some people think, if I can't pray, I'm not really a Christian, I have no faith. That's not true, is it? This proves it. Sometimes we're, according to the, the, the world and our, our flesh, we're so overwhelmed by problems that we can't even pray. We can't even form the words. Sometimes we're numb. You know, when, when a bad thing happens, people get numb, don't they, for a while. If your loved one has died, you know what it's like. If your spouse has died or a child or somebody like that, you're just numb. You don't know what to feel for a while, and slowly you get your feelings back. Uh, uh, but sometimes spiritually, we, we can't pray to God. It doesn't mean we physically can't. We just can't think of the words. 
And uh, this is reassuring, as Lisa says, the Holy Spirit is praying for you and with you. A helpful thing can be just to read a prepared prayers by someone else, right? The Lutheran Book of Prayer, or open the hymnal and pray some of the prayers in front of it, right? And then it's kind of a primer. It gets you going again. You can talk to God. But uh, we, we face our fears here, and we know what's coming eventually. So God's preparing. He's taking care of uh, our, our, our judgment before God. He's taking our sins, and also where are we going to live and how are we going to live. He's got that all planned out. So it's just the details we're living through now. If Paul were walking by sight, what are some things that could understandably discourage him? Now, 2 Corinthians 2, 1-4, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you in Corinth, for I, if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And as I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who have made me rejoice, or I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but let you know the abundant love that I have for you. What's, what's some things that could discourage Paul from walking uh, by sight? When he comes to Corinth, what is he afraid he's going to see? What's causing him pain? Are they going to beat him up physically at the church when he shows up there? What's he alluding to he's going to find when he gets to the church after he voyages from wherever he's at? Do you know? Well, 1 Corinthians, a lot of problems. Sexual immorality in the congregation going on. A man living with his stepmother as his wife. If you could figure that out. Uh, People are capable of all kinds of things. And saying, well, this is justified. Uh, what else is going on there? Uh, gossip, there's people, Christians suing each other in court rather than being reconciled and forgiving one another and solving their grievances. Uh, at the Lord's Supper, um, they're not sharing. It's like, we're the rich people, you can't have our food. You go over there and eat with the poor people. There's divisions along social classes in the congregation that shouldn't be there. Lots of things going on. Uh, and I think the pain came from seeing them unrepentant. He'd have to discipline, reprimand, and warn them of condemnation. And many would fall away. And that's so sad. Uh, but he must not fail them. Let me read on here, uh, seven, uh, 5 to 7. Even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longings, your mourning, your zeal for me, that I rejoice still more. So here he says in, in chapter 7, uh, I got good news. You had repented, you had mended your ways, you've come back to the Lord, so uh, that I don't grieve for you so much. And isn't that great? You know, it's really hard when, I think the hardest thing a pastor has to do is, is Christian discipline in the congregation to say something, you're unrepentant, you need to repent. Um, and God is calling you to do that and not lie to people or just pass over and say, oh, everything's fine, you know, let's just smile, you know. You're going to end up in hell, but I don't really care, you know. That's not what a church does to its sheep or its members and it's not what a pastor does to its, its uh, parishioners. That's the hardest thing I've ever faced uh, personally. That's uh, because I don't like conflict. I mean, who really does? 
But sometimes conflict is good. You know, it helps reveal our idols, doesn't it? What are you trusting in most? Who is your God? And we learn to listen to other people. We learn to love other people even more. And we learn to confess our sins to others as they confess to us, through us to God. So we're all in this together. And uh, God has a way of dealing with these kind of interpersonal conflicts. And Paul is expressing that. He says, I don't want to be grieved when I get there, so straighten up. And then he says, well, Titus tells me that's happening there. Let's see, uh, chapter eleven, sixteen. Let's go on to the next uh, uh, section here. Um, the next page. Question four says, look carefully at your life. What are the things, present, past, or future, that could discourage you if you walked by sight? What are some things that could discourage you in your life? Anybody have bad parents, bad education, or bad examples in their life that they had to overcome? Bad examples? Nobody's going to admit that in a a family proud of their ancestors, right? (laughs) For for me, it would be my divorce. When when I first started going through that, uh, if somebody asked me what was going wrong, you know, how I was doing, I'd always say fine because, you know, you don't want to talk about it. I was kind of embarrassed about it. But going through that, you know, I realized, you know, if you get into the Word, I was supposed to be the leader. And when there was problems between us, I was supposed to be dealing with that. And I wasn't. And that kind of, I got humbled and realized that, you know, I'm not perfect. But also, I shouldn't be blaming her for everything when I was part of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it grew. It, you learned to grow in appreciation for God's love and forgiveness for you, for right. your sins. And it also, you know, to to let go of things. If you hold on to things, it just it just overwhelms you. It eats you up. You're no good to yourself to nobody no good to anybody around you because you're mad and you're angry and you just have to let it go you have to basically you know put it in God's hands I mean what happened to me strengthened my faith and if I wouldn't have went through that I wouldn't have the faith I have today boy this is what he just said is one of the joys of being a pastor because through the church I've been your spiritual advisor in this, but you, God showed it to you. Maybe he was me in, in, in ways preaching and teaching, but to see that happen and see people recognize that, that's just great. I don't want a congregation that thinks it never sins. And oh, they're all such good, upright people there. That's not real. <laughs> when we can confess our sins to one another, to God and to one another, and really when we have these problems, we can come together and find the solution is is the forgiveness of sins of Jesus that we share with each other. Boy, that just makes me excited, right? And we need not fear that stuff and think, oh, we don't want to do that, because that's what the church is for, right? It'd be great if all married couples could be uh, reunited and, and re, uh, reaffirm, but that doesn't always happen in a broken world, does it? But we don't give up, do we? We keep, uh, keep looking to God. Uh, what about uh, some... Uh, 
some future. What are some future worries? People have had, have lost professions this year. They've lost possessions in the economic recession that started. Uh, how about death of parents, siblings, or uh, children, even children? Are there less Christians in the world now, uh, professing Christians? It seems that way, at least in our culture. New laws, perhaps, in the future that might target Christian moral behavior and say, you can't say that or you can't expect that of people. Uh, there could be some things that would discourage you if you walked by sight. Right? You'd say, we're losing. But we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Right? We just keep following Christ, hearing his voice in the scriptures, and we keep going towards that. What does Paul mean by home with the Lord? Back in that passage, uh, I think it was back in Romans uh, 8. What does it mean to be home with the Lord? Does that mean you get out of church and you get to go home and you take it with you? No, he's talking about death, right? Go, your soul goes to be with the Lord and then waiting for the resurrection there. He's looking forward to that. How does that give you courage if the future looks bleak? Well, isn't it like this? If we lose our lives in a crisis like this, we will be well off with the Lord. We will be uh, there and he will care for our needs in his house, not this house. Yeah, that's what Christians look forward to. So this is where some of our courage comes from, doesn't it? The next section is called Courage for Boldness. And first question is, can you be a Christian with no problems? What do you think? Some people act like they don't have any problems. Well, they just don't want to post that. I don't tell you all the problems I have, do I? Well, some of you know, here in this Bible class might hear some of them, right? <laughs> but uh, I dare not act as if I don't have any. I've got some... Um, well, ask Lisa. She'll tell you all about my problems, right? <laughs> now, her, her, her to her, uh, she hates when I talk about her, doesn't she? But she isn't going to tell you about my problems because that's our business, right? She doesn't want you to think less of me as a pastor, but I'm just like you. I just happen to wear one of these funny collars, right? I'm a sinner just as much as you are a sinner. Uh, but God has given me this vocation to be your teacher, your preacher, uh, your priest, in a sense, that... that I pray for you and pray with you and, and hopefully lead you uh, through spiritual advice, perhaps, uh, to be your shepherd, your under-shepherd for Jesus. It says, read the story of Jeho Jehoiada's courage in 2 Chronicles 23. What would have happened if fear had won out in Jehoiada's heart? Now, Jehoiada was the priest and when Queen Athaliah killed all the royalty of Judah so she could be queen, so she was one of the wives, and she killed off the whole royal family, Jehoiada, the priest, hid the heir. His name was Joash. So she took one of the, he took one of the kids away from the evil queen and saved them. Uh, an evil queen would have succeeded in genocide against the royal family and David's throne. Let me read this to you. Here's what happens. In the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jer Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Je uh, Jehohanan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Messiah, the son of Ad Adaiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. 
And they went about through Judah and gathered all the Levites from all the cities of Judah, the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son, he's got this boy, and he says, Let him reign as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing that you shall do of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath. One-third shall be gatekeepers, one-third shall be at the king's house, and one-third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. So don't break the Levitical covenant. They may enter, for they are holy, and all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. The Levites shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever enters the house shall be put to death. Be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. The Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were off to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, for Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and the large and small shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God, and he set all the people as a guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, all around the altar in the house. And they brought out the king's son, and they put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king, and Jehoiada and his sons anointed him, and they said, Long live the king. So here's this boy who is the only child left of that huge family, all the heirs in the White House <laughs> and uh, palace. And they, the priest had sheltered him, and now he's got this plan. We're going to hold off all the queen's uh, henchmen, and we're going to anoint him king and put the crown on When Athaliah, that's the queen, heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she went in the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was a king standing by his pillar at the entrance. That's outside the temple. And the captains and the trumpeters beside him and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets and the singers with their musical instruments leading the celebration. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And when Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with the sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her and she went into the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house and they put her to death there. So they killed the evil queen. Right? I can finish the chapter, but... Uh, well, I, I guess I can. Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down, his altars and his images, and they broke them in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altar. See, they had set up these altars around, and, and the queen said, oh, that's fine, you know, uh, we don't have to follow God here, we can have many gods. Jehoiada posted a watchman for the house of the Lord uh, of God uh, and to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it's written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing to either to the order of David. He stationed the gatekeepers at the house of the Lord uh, so no one should enter and so forth. So all the people rejoiced and the land was quiet under Ath after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword. So an evil queen would have taken over uh, and, uh, and if, if her step to the throne was genocide of the whole royal family, what kind of queen would she have been? Evil, right? Terrible. The people would have suffered even more. So uh, Jehoiada was pretty courageous for a priest, wasn't he? 
Priests didn't go around with swords and clubs and stuff. They, they got it out of the museum, you know, the, the weapons of David that were on display there in the, in the temple. Well, what about Ezra? Okay, what's the situation here? Well, Ezra was, uh, this is 457 B.C., Ezra was 14th generation uh, priest from Aaron, Aaron the brother of Moses the high priest. So 14 generations, that's a long time. He was a scribe and a priest in Babylon, or Babylonia, he was freed with the remnant of the Israelites that returned to Judah, okay? So you're thinking 586 B.C., everybody's carried off. Uh, he's a priest over there in Babylon. He never served in the temple because uh, he couldn't be near that. And then you've got uh, Artaxerxes. He is the new Persian king, and the Persians defeated the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, and they wanted to establish good relations in the world of peace, so they were letting them go back. Hey, all you who were slaves, I want you, you're free now, go back to your hometown, but be loyal to the Persian Empire, be loyal to Artaxerxes. So he did them favors and thought that he would have a stronger empire then. It's kind of like if, if uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, becomes President of the United States, there'll be a lot of reversals of executive orders, weren't there? Won't, won't there? They'll be expecting that. Uh, and that will strengthen his support. Say, oh, they, they voted against the, the current incumbent president. They didn't like these things. Well, this president pro uh, promises to undo those and change things another way. Similar here with the new empire going on. Uh, let me read uh, from the Bible. Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 to 28. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in manners of the commandments of the Lord and statutes for Israel. So this is the emperor's letter that he gives to Ezra to go. It's like a letter of protection. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now make a decree. I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you, Ezra. For you have been sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of the Lord your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered the God of Israel, who is dwelling in Jerusalem. So they get, they get some wealth to take with them. With all the silver and gold that you find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence by bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that you have been given, given you for the service of your house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of his Jerusalem. And whatever else is required at the house of your God, whether it falls on you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. He gives them a bank account. Go and start the city of Jerusalem's uh, religion over. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the uh, priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, it shall be done with all diligence. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. 
We also notify you that it shall be not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of the house of God. So he's saying, you can collect taxes over there to support your work. Not only I give you all this money, but tax people, and you shall not be taxed on your travel or anything. You should be tax-exempt because you need to establish this temple again and worship your God, because I want your God to smile on me, is really what the emperor is saying. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, as such know the laws of your God. And those who do not, uh, you do not, and, and those who you, who do not know you, them, you shall teach. And whoever, whoever will not obey the laws of your God and the laws of the king, let just, judgment be justly executed on him, whether for death or banishment or confiscation. And then a blessing uh, ends it here. So, what sustained Ezra here when so many obstacles were in his way? How did God help Ezra? He had to go back into a hostile country and reestablish a religion that had been destroyed 70 years before. How did God help him? The new emperor became a friend. Not only to him, but all the Jewish people, right? I'm reestablishing your country. Go home. We'll help you. The last king took you out of here. I'm going to help you. God, God moved the heart of Artaxerxes. He didn't even know God. But God worked through this emperor who was not a believer. People worried about political changes in America. Will God work through the next president of our country? Well, if he worked through this Persian emperor, built his kingdom on bloodshed and warfare and suffering, and he worked for the good of God's people, then he can work through anybody, can he? That's got to give you courage. Okay, New Testament. Joseph of Arimathea. What did... Uh, he stand to lose when he took courage to bury the body of Jesus. Mark 15, verse 42 to 47. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph brought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance. And Mary Magdalene and mother of, of Joses saw where he was laid. Oh, we hear this and think, oh yeah, Joseph and everything. What risk does he take going up to Pontius Pilate and say, you know that Jesus that you crucified, can I take his body? What could happen to him, Joseph? They're in jail. I could have been killed. Do you know that Joseph was a standing member of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin? Could he have lost his post? Yeah. Could he have lost his income, his living? Probably. Yeah, he goes to Pontius Pilate. He could have been executed. Get this Jew out of my face. Take him out there and do the same thing to him that we did to that other guy three days ago or this morning, I guess it was. He risked ridicule, imprisonment, and death, but he did it because he knew it was right. What is our attitude when things, when reasons to be courageous and bold are hard to find? What is our attitude? Psalm 27, 14. Can you read that, Marlon? 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what's our attitude to be? A courageous one. And patient, right? Wait for God. What are we waiting for him to do? For him to act. For him to work things out. Be strong in your faith. Next page. Question 5 says, what do God's people do when all hope seems lost? Consider how the apostles reacted when their lives were threatened in Acts chapter 23, 11 and 28, verse 15. 23, 11. Oh, I didn't put that one down. Uh, well, 23, 11, Paul was on trial in Jerusalem and he would go on to Rome and... Uh, uh, take courage. He had to have courage. He's on trial in Jerusalem, and they said, We're, I'm appealing to Caesar. Well, you're going to Caesar. You're going to have to get on a ship and go. But he took courage in that. Uh, chapter 28, verse 15, Paul finally made it to Rome. And what you remember what happened on the way there? What happened to his ship? He got shipwrecked. So he's swimming in the water with all these soldiers and everything. They get to shore. A snake bites him. <laughs> And it won't let go. Everybody says it's a poison snake. He's going to die. He shakes it off. He does, nothing happens. They, they finally get to Rome. A lot of bad things happened on the way. Uh, but he took courage because Christians came out to see him. That's the passage here. When he got to Rome, there were Christians who were believers in Rome. And they came out, hey, Paul's coming. And they gathered a small group in the streets to greet him there. And that gave him courage. So God gives you people that you don't expect who uh, know what you've gone through and they can support you. Hey, any post-cancer people here? Does it help to when somebody else says, uh, hey, I had cancer, when you're going through it? Yeah. Lisa's got a cousin, her age. She's got breast cancer. What's going on there? Well, she's finishing up her chemo and it's going to start radiation. It's the exact same thing that happened to me. So Two years ago, yeah. Hopefully Yeah, she's been telling me, oh, uh, my cousin's going through this now. Oh, I remember when you had that. That'd be helpful. Okay, you know the story of Daniel, right? Daniel and the lion's den and all that. And uh, But he had this dream of a vision of a man that you can read for yourself here. Uh, but uh, I'll just uh, highlight some of the things about him. Um, uh, this, this vision of this man standing there, uh, it's like a son of man. And he says, uh, verse 8, I was left alone in this great vision. I saw this great vision. No strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I, be I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So he's before this thing. And he says, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my knee, hands and knees. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now. I have been sent to you. And when he'd spoke this to me, I stood up trembling, and he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. Who is this? Then he gives his identity. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to me to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is going to happen to your people in the latter days. The vision is for days yet to come. So it's, it's an angel, and he comes to him, and uh, he's mentioning Michael, the great archangel, uh, uh, came. 
And when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of children of, the, of man touched my lips. So it looked like a man. I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, My Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I regain no strength. How can my Lord's servants talk with my Lord? For no strength remains in me and no breath in me. After having one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. We say that in church a lot. Peace be with you. Uh, be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me and I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you. You have strengthened me. He said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And, then, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no one who contends on my side against these except Michael, your prince. So the angels are fighting for him. So an angel of some sort comes and strengthens him with the words of God. A promise is given that the angels, Michael, watch over us here. The Babylonian Empire that Daniel uh, was being persecuted beneath as a slave, and uh, he was one of those wise people that the the uh, intelligentsia, young people that uh, uh, the Babylonians came and captured and took back as, as court servants to the king and to the royalty there, uh, that the Babylonian Empire would fall and God would rescue his people. Who would take over? It says the Greeks, right? The prince of Greece will come. So that would be, what, Alexander the Great? So Daniel strengthened by the, the speak, angel who speaks the word of God to about another angel, Michael. Now, I'm not expecting to get a vision of an angel today. We actually, God doesn't have to do that. We've already got 66 books of uh, prophets and apostles written for us to study there, right? He doesn't have to send an angel to us today. They didn't have these things. We do. So we're even more blessed than them to be able to study the word of God today. It gives courage. So, courage to confess Christ here. Uh, the question one under this section says, what purpose does Paul see in his suffering and death, and how can we have full courage even then? Read Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. Here it is, Philippians 1. I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, I not be at all ashamed, and that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you remember Pastor uh, Krensky? He died maybe five years ago. He was really sick, and he was down in St. Louis, and um, Marlene our beloved organist and musician here who lives in St. Louis now with her daughter. She told me that in Dick's uh, last day, they came to him and said, well, they'd done all this stuff to him and he was just worn out. I think he had leukemia or something like that. And they said, we're going to try one more thing with you. and It's going to be great. And they're trying to give him the pep talk. And you know what he said? He just is so tired, so worn out from all this. He said, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Marlene said, we're not doing that. He doesn't want all this stuff. You're not going to be able to save his life. We're going to let him go to 
to his God that he served all his life as a pastor and as a Christian. But I always remember that, a personal touch on this passage that we're reading here. Uh, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in this flesh, it means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for the joy of the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. So to live as Christ, to die is gain. We can have courage to live here these days serving God. He will give us a blessed end and a new life beyond death. Well, that's, that's the end of it, isn't it? I don't know what's going to happen if you're going to lose your job, if somebody that you love dearly is going to die from COVID or some other disease, and you don't know it either, do you? We don't know. Will we be cared for? Will God sustain us? Does it all matter what happens in this world, in this life? Do we all have to be rich and healthy (laughs) and happy all the time? No, because we're not going to trust God, are we? But as we go through these hardships, we should take courage because we know God is going to guide us through the rest of our life, no matter what. So that that takes away our worry, doesn't it? I know when my brother uh, was waiting for a liver transplant and it didn't look good, he said, if I live, great. If I die, greater. And that's, you know. Same thing. Yeah, so, and that was it. And it's like trying to calm me. He goes, you know, if I die, that could be great too. So, you know, just remember that. Of course, when he did die, but, you know. He did. Well, he's in the Lord's house. Yeah, he is, so. Now, you when somebody comes to you and says, I'm so worried about this, the best thing is probably not to say, well, if you die, you die, but if you live, you can keep serving God. They probably want some sympathy first, right? So good care for them would probably encourage them. What does the Bible say? Does it say that God will help us with all things? You know, and uh, we kind of want to help them to this. You kind of got to woo people. It's kind of like guys when you were dating uh, this beautiful woman. You kind of had to woo her, didn't you? You didn't just say, well, I'm... 25 years old, this is how much I make, and this is what we're going to do the rest of our life. You don't, you don't go at it this way. You say, you're just, you're just beautiful. Uh, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I think you're the one. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> right? Just kind of laid it out for her. Or did she do that with you? I don't know. Austin, we're giving you advice here. <laughs> don't be too practical about it. But, yeah, this is what God, you know, we know this. The challenge for courage is to be able to tell other people this in a way that they'll be able to receive right now and not just say, you're a wacky Christian. You know, you guys always, you always say that stuff, but God never helps us. Maybe show them how else God helped you or others. Example of scripture here. Uh, number two here, uh, Paul sees his continued life or his imminent death as good things. Why does he speak about suffering as something granted to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 29 to 30? What's the conflict they share with Paul? Philippians 1, 29 to 30. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What is this saying? Well, they are suffering persecution so that the gospel of the good news of Jesus can save souls. 
we will suffer. But if God is working salvation for people through our suffering, then it's worth it, isn't it? If somehow we suffer and God makes that happen to salvation, the message. They say in ancient times, this is an old thing, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Have you heard that? So when, when uh, in the early church, when people were dying, rather than worship the emperor for just a few moments or offer some kind of gift to Caesar, and then they would be spared, they wouldn't do it. Why won't you? We all worship the empire. Why won't, you, why won't people die rather than do this that we've all done? Is there something wrong with that? And the Holy Spirit worked through that to bring more people to the Christian faith. I mean, people were just running to Jesus. I met a girl from Africa yesterday. My friend's brought her. She's 20. She's still finishing high school because she had to learn English all of a sudden when she got to America. She's a, a legal uh, immigrant here. Legal, legal, not illegal. And uh, she lives with her parents. And uh, we, we were asking her, what was it like? Well, she lives in Eritrea. And you couldn't get into U.S. from Eritrea because of the bans on, um, uh, from a different country, apparently, Eritrea. But you could get in from Sudan. So they had to go to Sudan, for, which is a Muslim country, but we have better friendly relations with them than Eritrea. So her family just sent her with some other people. And they had to travel at night and hide during the day because they didn't want to get caught. So they were illegal immigrants to Sudan, and they lived in... Uh, a camp there for two years, and then applied for a U.S. green card, and they got it while they were in Sudan, because they were there two years, and they could see that they weren't dangerous people. And then uh, she, her mother came first, years before, and then she came by herself. I guess her brother was here too. But to hear her story, but she was a Lutheran in Eritrea. And I said, was it scary? Oh, yeah, it really was, because I was just 16 when I came and I had to live in Sudan until I was, what, 15, 16, and, and she got here three years ago, I guess. So. But kind of kind of difficult and, and uh, perilous story she had there. But um, uh, great risk, but she said, I wanted to live in America, and she just loves it here, just loves it, and loves Jesus and uh, she showed me her church back in the city of uh, on Google Maps, <laughs> where her city was, and her Lutheran church, and pictures of her pastor there, and so forth. And she goes to the Lutheran church here in America. So people are suffering persecution, so the gospel of good news. I just happened to learn about Eritrea. It's in the news lately because they're having a war there starting out, right? They've got four major tribes. This little country has nine languages, but four major areas, and they're warring over who gets control of it. Uh, compare Joshua's preaching. Oh, we're about out of time here. Uh, Joshua's preaching with Joshua in Joshua 20, or 10, verse 25, with Paul's encouragement to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Well, Joshua says, chapter 10, verse 25, do not be afraid and dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So do not be afraid or just maybe be strong and courageous. I've seen that on uh, school themes and kids even choose it for a confirmation passage. Courage, right? Courage. Why have courage? Well, the next passage, you read it on your own, but uh, Philippians 2, 11 to, uh, 1 to 11 there. 
it's kind of like a, a pre-existent Apostles' Creed. You see the suffering of Jesus. But I'll read one, one verse that he says, uh, Though he was in form of, a, of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, talking about Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. So Joshua said to the soldiers with him, who put their feet on the five kings who had attacked Israel, uh, and they lost the battle. And, and so they're laying prostrate on the ground, and, and, and Joshua, they beat them. But they're scared. They say, come on up here. Yeah, these are, these are bad people who would kill you, your family, your whole city. But put your foot on their, on their backs as a sign that you have uh, beat them. Don't be afraid. God is giving you this victory. Uh, fear not. And we think of that in our lives. God has highly exalted Jesus after giving him victory over all our enemies. So don't be afraid of your enemies that Jesus has defeated. Death is a big one. Uh, Satan, um, conflict, the evil spirits, your past. Don't be afraid of any of that stuff. Be courageous. Jesus has given you the victory. So put your foot on the back of uh, Satan in the sense. I don't talk to Satan personally. I don't want him to talk back, but um, don't follow his ways, right? Don't be afraid of what, what this world can do to us. Have courage for these times. that helpful? That's a powerful scene there. All right. Well, I've got one time for one more here. On what did Paul set his heart while in prison and near death? Philippians 3, 8 to 10. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I've endured the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. He's, you know, before he was a Pharisee, he taught people all the rules. He was really good at it, following the rules. But he said that was all rubbish. You know, God doesn't accept people because they keep his rules. God accepts people because of Jesus dying for their rule-breaking. He says that's the greatest thing. So he possesses this righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. So he can know the power of the resurrection and share in Christ's sufferings in this life. Wow. Sharing in Christ's suffering. Are we going to do that? We already are. So I hope that this little tour through some rarely read Bible stories like Joshua and uh, Daniel and some of these other ones will help you see people in the past have had great courage, haven't they? They've been in a lot worse shape than we are and they weren't disappointed. So we can have courage in God our, our Savior today. He will hear our prayers. So uh, that's it for today. Thank you for being with us.